Star Wars, The Han Solo Adventures by Brian Daly Read by Alec Bowles Han Solo at Star's End 7. As he overtook each of the escapees in turn, Max slowed the harvester just enough for them to board. First was Bollocks, who had fallen behind the others despite his best efforts. He made a last bound with a deep sproying from his suspension, found a servo grip hold, and drew himself aboard. Then came Torm, who, pacing the harvester, made an athletically skillful mount. Lastly, Atwari and Paka came aboard, the cub clinging to his mother's tail. Blue Max accelerated for the spaceport perimeter. Recon still held Han to the catwalk, but now it was to make sure he wouldn't fall. Captain, you must accept that there's no more you can do here. Your chances of getting to Chewbacca here on Oron 3 are vanishing small. And, more to the point, it's doubtful he'll be here for long. Surely he'll be taken for interrogation just like the others. Our mission is yours now. It's nearly certain the Wookiee will be put in with the rest of the Authority's special enemies. Han wiped blood from his forehead, pulled himself upright, and began climbing a maintenance ladder. Where are you going? Recon demanded. Someone has to tell Max where he's going, Han answered. The spaceport was guarded by a security fence of fine mesh, ten meters high, carrying a lethal charge maintained by transmitting posts along its length. An unprotected man, or even an armored one, would stand no chance of making it through. But the harvester offered a special form of protection. Everybody get to a catwalk, Recon called. Stand on the insulated strips. His various companions, Han included, rushed for positions, bracing their feet on the thick runners of insulation on the mechanic's catwalks. The harvester hit the field area as Max threw his cutter blades into motion again. Defensive energy spat and spattered all around the agro-robot, discharging across its bow in skittering strands. Then the fence was torn apart by the harvester's blades. A twenty-meter length of it ripped loose and engulfed. The defensive field faded along that part of the fence, its continuity broken. Whereupon the giant machine churned out onto the flat, press-bonded landing area. Han hauled himself up and looked down at Max, nestled in the control niche. Can you program this crate so it'll run without you? The computer probe's photoreceptor swiveled around, coming up to bear on him. That's what it's built to do. But it'll remember only simple things, Captain. For a machine, it's pretty dumb. Han weighed his suspicions, presumptions, and a knowledge of security procedures. They'll be rushing their men to the passenger ship end of the port. They won't think the barges are any good to us. But they'll certainly be looking for this tub, Max. Set it up so it'll give us a few seconds to get clear, then head itself down toward the main port area. To the others, he called, Checkout time! Everybody pound ground! From Blue Max came low buzzes, beeps, and wonks of his labors. Then he announced, Done, Captain, but we better get off right now! Han reached down as Max disengaged himself from the harvester's controls, 
pulled free the connector jacks Chewbacca had inserted and lifted the computer out of the niche. There was a carrying strap in a recessed groove on Max's top. Han pulled it out and slung Max over his shoulder. When he reached the ground, Recon and the others were already there. They all stepped back as the harvester ground into motion again, wheeled promptly, and tore off between rows of barges. From the harvester, Han had already spotted, not far away, the barge shell concealing the Millennium Falcon. He handed Blue Max back to Bollocks and started for his ship at a dead run, with the rest keeping up as best they could. The outer hatch, the makeshift one, wasn't dogged, of course. He pushed it aside, palmed the ramp and inner hatch open. Then he dashed to the cockpit and began swiping at controls, bringing his ship back to life, yelling, Recon, say the word the second everybody's on board and hang on to your heirlooms. He pulled on his headset and deserted all caution, thinking, hell with preflight. He brought the barge's engines up to full all at once, and simply hoped they wouldn't blow or dummy out on liftoff. His best hope lay in the nature of bureaucracy. Somewhere back in the fields, the Espo detachment commander was trying to explain to his superior what had happened. That man, in turn, would have to contact port security and give them the rundown. Given a creaky enough chain of command, the Falcon still stood a chance. Han pulled on his flight gloves and ran through his preparations with a sharp feeling of incompleteness. He was used to dividing the tasks with Chewbacca, and each detail of the liftoff drove home the fact that his friend wasn't there. He checked the barge's readouts and swore several of his choicer curses. Bollocks, stumping into the cockpit to relay Recon's words that all was secure, added, "'What's wrong, Captain?' The motherless barge is what's wrong. Some overeager authority expediter filled it up already. The instruments proved it. Several hundred thousand metric tons of grain were stowed in the barge's vast shell. There went Han's plan for a rapid ascent. But, sir, Bollocks asked in his unhurried speech pattern, can't you release the barge shell? If the explosive releases worked, and if I didn't damage the Falcon, I'd still have to get above the port's close proximity defenses and maybe a picket ship. He turned and yelled back down the passageway. Recon, get somebody in those gun turrets. We may have to stand tall. Han could operate the ship's top and belly turrets by means of servos from the cockpit, but remote control was a poor substitute for sentient gunners. And screw your navels in. We go in 20 seconds. He fumed over the fact that the barge's engines took so much longer to heat up than the Falcons. Port Control, having noticed that the barge was preparing to lift, began transmitting to what it still presumed to be a robotized ship orders to abort liftoff. Han hit the overrides and had the barge's computer answer by acknowledging clearance as if it had received permission to go. Port Control repeated the command to hold, convinced it was dealing with a computer malfunction along with all its other problems. Han brought the engines up. The barge wallowed up from its pit, bending aside the boarding gantry. 
ignoring all directions to do otherwise. As his radius of vision increased with altitude, Hans spied the abandoned harvester. It was halfway to the other end of the giant port, surrounded by Espo hoverbands, skimmers, and self-propelled artillery. The harvester had been partially disabled, but still obeyed its present programming mindlessly, trying to grind forward. As Han watched, a cannonade from all sides stopped the huge machine for good, gouging large chunks from it, turning most of the harvester's lower chassis into wreckage. Someone no longer cared whether prisoners were taken or not. The harvester's power plant went up in a fireball, and the harvester split in half with a force that rocked the Espo field pieces back. As the barge rose higher, responding sluggishly under its burden of cargo, ignoring chatter from the port control, Han saw the place where Chewbacca had been captured. Other Espo vehicles were gathered near the wreck of the Hubaran. Han couldn't tell whether his partner was there or had already been taken away, but the fields were crawling with security police, like a pestilence among the golden-red grain, searching for possible stragglers. Recon had been right. Going back would have spelled certain disaster. The barge gave a sudden, convulsive shudder, and the Falcon's passengers felt as if someone had caught them by the collar and given a yank. With an ominous feeling, Han punched up the rear screens. Bollocks, having nearly fallen, lowered himself into the navigator's chair, inquiring what was wrong. Han ignored him. It had been a picket ship, in transpolar orbit, that he and Chewbacca had picked up just prior to landing. Even Rekon hadn't realized how security-minded the authority was about Oron Three. Moving up hard astern, the barge was a dreadnought, one of the military's old Invincible-class capital ships. Over two kilometers long, bristling with gun turrets, missile tubes, tractor beam projectors, and deflector shields, armored like a proto-steel mountain. The dreadnought hailed them with the demand that the barge halt, and at the same time identified herself. The Shanador's Revenge. She'd locked her tractors onto the barge, and compared with her raw power, the lighter's beam back onto Rune had been a mere beckoning finger. Church is out, Han observed, bringing his ordnance up to charge and preparing to angle deflector shields for all the good it would do. The dreadnought had enough weaponry to hold and vaporize a score of ships like the Falcon. Han opened the intercom. That shake-up was a tractor. Everybody stay cool. Things could get rough. As if we have a prayer, he finished to himself. But he had no intention of being caught alive. Better to shorten a few Espo careers and go out in style. There were sounds of banging, tearing metal from the barred shell, of parting supports and struts. Some of the superstructural features, weakened or loosened by alterations to the hull, had been pulled free by the tractor beam and gone flying back toward the Shanador's revenge. Han took inspiration from it. He had at his side breadboarded computer overrides for the barge's every function. His fingers stabbed at them as he shouted, Everybody brace! We're gonna... and was slammed back in his seat. 
he'd hit the cargo release, opening the barge's rear dump doors. Hundreds of thousands of tons of grain were poured into the dreadnought's tractors, pulled toward the Shanador's revenge by her own brute power, fanning out in a blinding contrail as the barge surged ahead with a lightning load. The dreadnought was engulfed, her sensors muffled by the tidal wave of grain. Han, with one eye on his own sensors, saw that the warship was driving straight on through the hail of grain, closing quickly on the barge even though she was blinded. Her tractor beams were still clamped onto the barge's stern, and Han wondered how long it would be before her skipper gave the command to open fire. There was only one other possibility. He hit the controls, cutting in the barge's retro thrusters, and with virtually the same motion, slapped the emergency releases. His other hand hovered over the main drive control of the Millennium Falcon. The barge shell shook, losing much of its velocity, while the reports of exploding bolts sounded through both the freighter and the larger ship around it. Superstructural elements added to secure the Falcon and disguise her lines were blown clear. A split second later, the Falcon's engines howled to life, their blue fire tearing the smaller ship free of the breakaway supports, holding her and severing her external control hookups. Han took the Falcon on the same course he'd been holding, keeping the barred shell between himself and the Authority warship. The Shanador's revenge, her sensors impaired, had failed to note the barred shell's drastic drop in speed. The dreadnought's captain was calling for a vector change just as the warship rammed the decelerating barge. The Shanador's revenge forward screens flared with impact, and her anti-concussion fields cut in instantly on collision as she cut the floating hulk of the barge shell in half in a terrific impact and suffered structural damage of her own. The warship's forward sensor suite was disabled. She resounded with alarms and damage reports. Airtight doors began booming shut automatically, triggered by decompressive hull ruptures. The Millennium Falcon was clawing for the upper atmosphere. The thought that he'd bloodied the nose of a battle wagon, escaping against all odds, didn't lighten Han's mood. Nor did the thought that hyperspace and safety were only moments away. Occupying his mind was one simple, intolerable fact. His friend and partner was now in the merciless hands of the corporate sector authority. When the stars had parted before him and the ship was safely in hyperspace, Han sat for long minutes thinking that he couldn't remember the last time he'd spaced without the Wookiee beside him. Recon had been right in arguing for escape, but that didn't change Han's feeling that he'd let Chewbacca down. But regrets were a waste of time. Han stripped off his headset and shoved himself out of his seat. Recon was his only hope now. He headed for the forward compartment, the ship's combination lounge mess wreck area, and realized something was wrong while he was still in the passageway. There was the pungent smell of ozone, the smell of blaster fire. Recon! Han ran to where the scholar slumped over the game board. He'd been shot from behind by a blaster set on needle beam at low power. The sound of it probably hadn't even carried across the compartment. On the game board, 
Under Recon's body was a portable readout. Next to it, a clear puddle of molten liquid bubbled. The remains of the data plaque. Recon was dead, of course. He'd been shot at close range. Han leaned on a bulkhead pad, rubbing his eyes and wondering what to do next. Recon had been his sole hope for rescuing Chewbacca and for getting himself out of this insane jam. With Recon dead, the hard-won information gone, and at least one traitor murderer on board, Han felt alone for one of the few times in his life. His blaster was in his hand, but there was no one else in the compartment or in the passageway. A clattering on the rungs of the main ladder well. Han ran to it just as Torm came climbing up from the Falcon's belly turret. As he came up, Torm found himself staring into the muzzle of Han's gun. Just give over your pistol, Torm. Keep your right hand on the rung and do it with your left. Easy. Don't make a mistake. It'd be your one and only. When he had the other man's weapon, Han let him ascend, then made him shuck his tool belt. Patting him down and finding no other weapons, Han motioned for him to move into the lounge, then called up the ladder well for a Tuari to come down from the ship's top quad mount. He kept one eye on Torm, who was staring in shock at Recon's body. Where's your cub? he asked the man quietly. The redhead shrugged. Recon told Paka to look around for a metapack. You aren't the only one who was injured along the way. The cub went off to rummage around. I guess when you yelled for everyone to stay put and hang on, he did. He looked back to Recon, as if he couldn't fathom the fact of the man's death. Who did it, Solo? You? No. And the list of possibilities is awfully short. He heard Atwari's light tread on the rungs, and covered her as she came down the ladder well. The Triani's features became a mask of feline hatred. You dare point a weapon at me? Gag it. Toss your gun out here. Careful. Then step out and drop the tool belt. Somebody's killed Recon, and it could be you as easy as anyone. So don't push me. I'm not telling you twice. Her eyes were wide now, the news of Recon's death appearing to shock her out of her fury. But how can I tell if it's real or an act? Han asked himself. When he had them both in the forward compartment, he still found he couldn't pick up anything but shock and dismay. Theirs, at least, served to prod him out of his own. A clanking on the deck plates marked Bollocks's arrival from the cockpit. Han didn't look around until he heard the urgency in the droid's voice. Captain? Han whirled, dropping to one knee blaster up. Beyond the cockpit offshoot from the passageway crouched the cub, Paka, his small pistol held in one paw hand, a medipack swinging from the other. He seemed to be wavering indecisively. He thinks you're threatening me, Atwari rasped, moving toward her cub. Han swung his blaster to cover her and looked back to the cub. Tell the kid to drop it and come to you, Atwari. Do it! She did, and the cub, shifting his wide eyes between Han and his mother, obeyed. Torm took the metapack from the cub and handed it to Han. Still covering his passengers, Han moved to an acceleration chair and opened the pack with his free hand. 
He held the nozzle of an irrigation bulb against his forehead injury, then wiped at it with a disinfectant pad. Putting the metapack down, he took up the three confiscated weapons, put them aside, and confronted Torm, Atwari, and Paka. His mind ran in circles. How to tell who had done it? They'd each had a weapon, and time. Either Paka had doubled back from his search, or one of the others had left his turret long enough to murder. Han almost regretted not having exchanged fire with the Shanador's revenge. At least he'd have known if either of the quad mounts was untended. Atwari and Torm were trading suspicious looks now. Recon told me, Torm was saying, that he took you and the cub on against his better judgment. Me? She shrilled. What about you? She turned to Han. Or, for that matter, you! That shook him. Sister, I'm the one who got you out of there, remember? Besides, how could I lift off and shoot Recon at the same time? And anyway, Bollocks was with me. Han rummaged again in the metapack, dug out a patch of synth flesh, and pressed it over his injury, his mind in a turmoil. That all could have been done by computer, Solo. Or you could have killed him just before I came down, Torm said. And what good's a droid for a witness? You're the one pointing the blaster around, hotshot. Han, pushing the metapack aside, replied, I'll tell you what. You're all, all three of you, going to keep an eye on one another. And I'm going to be the only one with a gun. If anybody has the wrong look on his face, it's going to be all over for him. You're all fair game, understand? Atwari moved to the game board. I'll help you with Recon. Keep your hands off him, Torm shouted. It was either you or that cub who killed him. Maybe both. The big redhead's fists were balled. Both Atwari and Paka were showing their fangs. Han cut them off with a wave of the blaster. Everybody relax. I'll take care of Recon. Bollocks can help. The three of you moved down to that cargo hold off the main passageway. He stifled their objections with a motion of the gun's muzzle. First Torm, then the two Triani began to move. Han stood to one side as they filed into the empty hold. If anybody sticks his face out of here without my say-so, I'll figure he's out to get me and I'll fry him. And if anybody's hurt in here, I'll space whoever is left. No questions asked. He closed the hatch and left them. In the forward compartment, Bollocks waited silently, with Blue Max on a console nearby. Han regarded the corpse. Well, Recon, you did your best, but it didn't get you far, did it? And you dumped it into my lap. Now my partner's captured and your murderer's on board with me. You weren't a bad old man, but I somehow wish I'd never heard of you. Han picked up one heavy arm, dragging at the corpse. Bollocks, you get ready to take the other side. He was no lightweight. Then he noticed the scroll. Han pushed Recon's body back clumsily and bent to examine a stylus's scribble on the game board that the dead man's arm had hidden. The writing was difficult to read, dashed off in a pained, distorted hand, hastily and weakly. Han turned his head this way and that, puzzling the message out loud. 
Star's End, Midas Seven. He knelt and quickly found Recon's blood-stained stylus on the floor by the game board base. With his last strength, after he'd been left for dead, Recon had managed to leave word of what the computer plaque had told him. Dying, he hadn't abandoned his campaign. Foolish, Han told himself. Who was he trying to tell? You, Captain Solo, Bollocks answered automatically. Han turned on him in surprise. What? Recon left the message for you, sir. The wound indicates that he was shot from behind, and therefore quite probably never saw his assailant. The only living entity he could trust would be you, Captain, and it would be logical to assume you would be present when his body was moved. He made sure in this manner that the information would reach you. Han stared down at the body for a long moment. All right, you stubborn old man. You win. He reached over, smearing and eradicating the words with his hand. Bollocks, you never saw this, understand? Play dumb. Shall I erase that portion of my memory, sir? Han's answer was slow, as if he was catching the habit from the droid. No. You may be the one who'll have to pass it along if I don't hack it. Make sure Blue Max keeps zipped, too. Yes, Captain. Bollocks moved to take Recon's other arm as Han prepared to hoist again. His joints creaked and his servos whined. This was a great man, was he not, Captain? Han strained under the corpse's weight. What do you mean? Just, sir, that he had a function, a purpose he cared about above and beyond his life. Doesn't that indicate a greatness to the purpose? You'll have to read the obituaries, bollocks. All I can tell you is he's dead. And we're going to have to eject him through the emergency lock. We might get boarded yet, and we can't have him around. Without further conversation, the two dragged at Recon, who had reached out from beyond death and given Han the answers he needed. Han opened the hatch. Atwari, Paka, and Torm looked up in unison. They'd taken seats on the bare deck, the man at the opposite side of the empty hold from the two Triani. We had to ditch Recon, Han told them. Atwari, I want you and Paka to go square away the forward compartment. You can throw some eats into the warming unit, too. Torm, come with me. I need a hand repairing the damage we did on liftoff. Atwari objected. I am a Triani Ranger and a rated pilot, not a drudge. Besides, Solo Captain, that man is a traitor. Save it, Han cut her off. I've locked up all the other weapons in the ship, including Chewie's other bowcaster. I'm the only one armed, and things stay that way until I figure out what to do with you all. She gave him a sullen look, telling him, Solo Captain, you're a fool. She left, with Paka trailing behind. Torm rose, but Han stopped him with an arm across the hatchway. The redhead retreated back into the hold and waited. You're the only one I can trust, Han told him. Bollocks isn't really much good. 
and I just figured out who killed Recon. Which of them did it? The cub, Paca. He was in authority custody, and they messed with him. That's why he doesn't talk. I think they brain-set him, then let Atwari recover him. Recon wouldn't have let any of you others near. Torm nodded grimly. Han produced the man's pistol from the back of his gun belt and handed it to him. Its charge indicator read full. Keep this on you. I'm not sure Atwari's figured it out yet, but I'm willing to play them along and find out if either of them know anything that'll help. Torm stashed the gun in his coverall pocket. What will we do next? Rekod left a message as he was dying, scrawled it on the game board. The authorities keeping its special prisoners at something called Star's End on Midas 6. After we've checked the ship over, we'll gather in the forward compartment and run down everything we've got in files and computers on it. Maybe Paka or Atwari will let something slip then. When the light damage suffered by the Millennium Falcon in her breakout from Oron III had been repaired insofar as was possible, the ship's complement gathered in the forward compartment. Han had brought four portable readouts. He gave one to each of the others and took one himself. Bollocks watched, seated to one side, with Max back in his usual place, gazing out from the droid's chest. I patched these readouts into the ship's computers, Han explained. Each of them's keyed to one kind of information. I'll pull navigational. Atwari's got planetological. Paka can retrieve the authority's unclassified stuff. And Torm's got operational files from the outlaw techs. Okay, punch up Star's End and let's get at it. Each of the other three complied. Torm's screen, except for the retrieval request, remained blank. Atwari's, too. She looked up, as they all did, to see Han scan his own readout. Your portables aren't hooked up to anything, he told them. Only mine. Atwari, show Torm your screen. Dubious, she still did as he asked, turning her readout so that the redhead could see it. On her screen was the simple retrieval request. Midas 8. Yours too, Paka, Han bade the cub. That readout showed Midas 5. Catch his face, Han told the others, meaning Torm, who had become pallid. You know what you've done, don't you, Torm? Show everybody your readout. It says Midas 7, but I told you that Star's End was on Midas 6, just as I told the others the wrong planet. But you already knew the right one because you read it over Recon's shoulder before you killed him, right? His voice lost its false lightness. I said, right, traitor? Torm jumped to his feet with impressive speed, gun drawn. Atwari pulled hers out, too, and pointed it at him. But neither Torm's shot at Han nor Atwari's at him worked. Two malfunctions? Han inquired innocently, unlimbering the blaster at his side. I bet you mine works, Torm. Torm heaved his pistol wildly. Han reacted with a star pilot's reflexes, slapping the gun out of midair with his left hand. But Torm had already whirled and seized the surprised Atwari in a savage infighting hold, prepared to break her neck with a slight twist. 
When she started to resist, he forced her neck to the brink of fracture, making her subside. Put down the blaster, Solo, he grated, and get your hands on the game board or I'll... He was interrupted as Paca, in a spectacular leap, landed on Torm's shoulders, sinking fangs into his neck, clawing at his eyes, wrapping a supple tail around the traitor's throat. Torm was forced to release his hold to keep from being blinded. Atuari sought to turn and fight, and even Bollocks had risen in the moment of crisis, unsure of just what to do. Torm gave Atuari a vicious kick. His superior weight and strength sent her sprawling, blocking Han, who had been moving for a clear shot. As Han skirted Atuari, Torm tore Paka from his shoulders and threw the cub aside just as Bollocks blundered into the pilot's path. Paka bounced off one of the pads of safety cushioning lining the compartment hatch as Torm dashed into the passageway. Dodging, moving as quickly as he could, Torm raced past the cockpit, main ladder well, and ramp hatch. None of them held any promise of even temporary safety. He heard Han's boot steps close behind and ducked into the first compartment he came to, damning himself for not having taken time to learn the ship's layout. He hit the hatch close button as he came through. The compartment was empty, offering no tools, nothing he might use as a weapon. He'd been hoping this was the escape pod chamber, but fortune had passed him by. At least, he thought, he had a moment's respite. He might be able to buy time, perhaps even wrest Solo's blaster from him. His thoughts were moving so quickly that he didn't realize for a moment where he was. But when he did, he threw himself back at the hatch through which he'd come, tearing at the controls, screaming obscenities. Don't waste your time came Han's voice over the intercom. Nice of you to choose the emergency lock, Torm. It's where you would have ended up anyway. Han stood looking through the viewport set in the lock's inner hatch. He'd overridden the lock's controls to make sure Torm couldn't get back in. All the Falcon's access systems had inboard overrides to make life complicated for anyone interested in forced entry, a wise smuggler's option. Torm tried to wet his lips with a very dry tongue. Solo, stop and think a minute. Save your breath, Torm. You're going to need it all. You're going swimming. There were, of course, no spacesuits stored in the lock. Torm's eyes opened wide with fear. Solo, no! I never had anything against you. I never would have come, except that bastard Recon and the Triani never took their eyes off me. If I'd cut, they would have shot me. You can understand that, can't you? I had to look out for number one, Solo. So you shot Recon. Han told him in a soft voice, no questioning to it. I had to. If he'd passed on word about Star's End, it would have been my neck. You don't know these authority people, Solo. They don't accept failure. It was Recon or me. Atuari came up behind Han, and Paka and Bollocks after her. The cub climbed up on the droid's shoulders for a better view. But Tom, Atuari said, Recon found you, recruited you. Your father and brother really have disappeared. Without facing away from the viewport, Han added, I'm sure they did. 
Your father and older brother, right, Torm? Let's see now. That wouldn't by any chance make you heir to the Kale Ranges, would it? The trader's face was waxen. Yes, if I did as the authority asked. Solo, don't play righteous with me. You said you're a businessman, didn't you? I can get all the money you want. You want your friend back? The Wookiee is on his way to Star's End by now. The only way you'll ever see him again is by bargaining with me. The authorities got no grudge against you. You can name your price. Torm reasserted control over himself, going on more calmly. These people keep their word, Solo. They don't even know your names yet. Any of you. I was operating under deep cover, saving the information I developed so I could up the price. Strike a deal. The authorities just good business people, like you and me. You could have the Wookiee back and go free with enough money to buy a new ship. He got no answer. Han's gaze had gone to his own reflection in the metal of the emergency lock's control panel. Torm pounded his fists on the inner hatch, a dull thudding. Solo, tell me what you want. I'll get it for you, I swear. You're a guy who looks out for number one, aren't you? Isn't that what you are, Solo? Han stared at his own lean reflection. In another man, he'd have said those eyes were too used to concealing everything but cynicism. His thoughts echoed Torm. Is that what I am? He looked back to Torm's face, straining against the viewport. Ask Rekon, Han answered, and hit the lock release. The outer latch snapped open. With an explosion of air into vacuum, Torm was hurled out into the chaotic pseudo-reality of hyperspace. Once outside the Millennium Falcon's mantle of energy, the units of matter and patterns of form that had been Torm ceased to have any coherent meaning. <laughs>